Welcome to the C Press podcast, a podcast from the Seattle Presbytery that invites you into conversation about issues and topics that are meaningful to the church and the church's people. My name is Eliana Maxim, and I'm the co-executive presbyter for the Seattle Presbytery. And today I'm joined by three of our presbytery's chaplains, each serving in three distinct areas of community ministry. We want to hear more from them about what their ministry is like uh, today as we are all in our uh, stay-at-home phase of the governor's latest order in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. As a matter of fact, today in King County, it was announced that the U.S., well, actually that the U.S. today has surpassed both China and Italy with most diagnosed COVID-19 cases. And here in King County, we had 218 new cases today um, with three new additional deaths reported. So we're still on the upswing of this pandemic here in King County. I'm gonna allow my guests to introduce themselves because I know they do a much better job of doing that. Um, So why don't we go ahead and start with you, Molly? Hi, my name is Molly Manao, and I am a chaplain with Providence Hospice of Seattle, and I've been there for, gosh, seven and a half years. Thanks so much. Charlie? Yeah, I'm Charlie Scoma. I'm the lead chaplain for the Seattle Police Department, and so my primary area of care is our first responders, uh, along with Seattle Police, Seattle Fire. I've been with them for seven and a half years now and three years full-time in this ministry. And finally, uh, Leah. My name is Leah Klug. I'm a chaplain at Swedish Medical Group, and I work at the Cherry Hill campus. I've been a chaplain for five years now, and then I've been at Swedish for over a year. Great. Thank you, all three of you, for um, joining me this evening. Um, I know it's been a, a long week and um, uh, with long days, so uh, your time is truly appreciated. Um, it feels like sometimes... Um, in our presbytery, um, the ministry of chaplains can go a little bit under the radar and is undetected um, and it's quiet. You are at the forefront of so much of what we're dealing with um, as a city and as a county regarding this virus. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in your areas of ministry or, or how your chaplaincy work is different today since the pandemic? Um, than say six months ago? I'll go. Um, This is Charlie. And uh, I, you know, I don't think in terms of my overall ministry, much has changed. I mean, for me, it's still a call to be with somebody grieving on a scene um, and in a traumatic moment. I think the difference is, is how slow and methodical I am now and how many questions I'm asking to make sure it's safe. Uh, I think I have a much bigger picture of my own family and my my own well-being now uh, at the forefront before I go. Not that I'm afraid to go. I, I believe I'm absolutely protected and I'm there. I have all the proper protective equipment I need and, and that, but there just seems to be a little bit more of me that is slowing down, asking questions and making sure I'm more aware of what I'm walking into. Than I think I would normally ask before. I think I've noticed that in the last week, particularly. I work in palliative care, so my work often involves people who are, or only involves people who are critically ill, or at the end of their life. Um, for us, this 
coronavirus pandemic has meant besides the normal folks that we see every day who are going through this type of transition, we also have an additional cohort of many, many people who are fearful, who are very ill, um, and add to that the fact that families can't visit these mm. patients. So that has made a big difference in the work that I do. So imagine being at the bedside of someone who is dying and their family present, or maybe one or two family members can be present. Uh, I would say that the work of the church matters more now than it ever has. Mm. Uh, I've seen what a difference it makes for people who are in the hospital to receive phone calls from their pastor, from people at their church, and how heartening that is when they, especially now, when they can't have those in-person family visits. Um, we're doing a lot of our work by FaceTime um, and by phone call, which is something that's, there's my dog, something that's unprecedented, uh, something that we haven't done uh, in end-of-life care as much. It's not considered best practice, but we're doing what we can with what we have. And I understand that that's something that my colleagues are doing as well. We're doing what we can with what we have and learning new and creative approaches uh, to doing this work. So for us, it has changed the way that we do the work. Um, it's changed the volume of work that we have. And I also support staff. And I'm seeing a lot of fear of bringing this home. Um, it means that when I go to work, I'm also adding to my work that fear that I'll bring this home to my family. And my in-laws have actually moved out of the house that we've been sharing with them and moved to another home so that they're not around uh, me specifically because I'm doing this work. Thankfully, they support my work and they believe in the work that I'm doing. So for them, not only is it uh, kind of all of us pitching in to do this work together, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of my family when I do this because they're willing for me to, to continue taking this risk. This is Molly and um, my work, the um, way it has increased, especially I work almost exclusively in skilled nursing facilities and assisted living. And so with the, they also, as well as the hospitals, these facilities have no visitors allowed, except for they are allowed, they most are allowing um, one or two visitors for people who are actively dying, um, but there are no other visitors. And so um, many, many people are really missing their families and missing their activities and all the things that normally keep them going. And so we're very concerned for our residents at this time. And um, we were some of the few visitors um, as their hospice team, because we were medical professionals that were allowed in. And um, as of Monday, um, the chaplains and social workers have been asked to really scale back their visits drastically, um, both to prevent um, exposing people as we're going in and out of places, homes and facilities, but also um, to conserve protective equipment. Um, as every, as I think it's pretty much everybody in this area knows there is a major shortage yeah. of um, protective equipment. And so um, that's part of the reason I believe we've been, you know, we're all being given protective equipment if we need it, but we also need to be really, really wise in the way we use it. Um, and so for me that um, my ministry has changed drastically this week. Um, and whereas I'm used to being an in-person visitor, primarily with my patients, but also, and then support the family alongside that, my primary role has been 
face-to-face -face visits with my patients. Um, and now the big shift for me is the vast majority of my work is going to be on-call, not on-call, sorry, telephone call visits with family members and friends um, of my patients. And so um, I had to start making the calls this week. And, um, and I have a few patients that I'll be able to do phone call visits with. And I will see a couple people where we were told to use our clinical judgment and meet with our teams as far as who is more, most um, critical for in-person visits for their well-being. And, um, but it is a big change. I'll see a couple people, but mainly it will be all on telephone. And so there's some new opportunities to support families in ways I haven't in the past that I've kind of left up to my social workers. Um, but also I'm, I'm really trying to find creative ways that I can keep supporting the staff at the various facilities I go to because I have spent some of these places I've been going into for seven years. And I have spent a lot of time building relationships with the staff at all these facilities and um, they're scared kind of as Leah, you know, these pe people are scared sure. and they're continuing to care for the residents and their facilities. And um, I'm trying to find creative ways, you know, and as kind of Leah said, that's a place where the church could definitely send up, you know, sending over kind of some way if there's facilities in their neighborhoods or facilities are connected to just to show love um, to the staff and the residents at these places in this kind of time of isolation. Thank you so much. Um, there's a couple of things that you all mentioned that I, I, I kind of want to pick up a little bit. Um, Leah, you mentioned some changes that you've had to accommodate in your personal life around your family because of the work that you do. I'm wondering, Molly and Charlie, if you've had to make any changes in your personal life um, because of this virus um, and, and to, um, to ensure the safety of your loved ones. Well, I'll, I'll go. I, I haven't made significant changes yet. Um, primarily because I haven't been in a situation where I think I've been exposed or had the potential. But I will say that I was in a series of meetings today uh, and we have now a hotel set up for even people that do not want, first responders who do not want to potentially bring it home to their family where they can go and they can be for a period of time. Uh, that was done by the Seattle uh, Hotel Association and a hotel working with them. So. I think what it dawns on me is the change is, I have a change of clothes now in a jump bag. I know that if I need to leave stuff behind, I need to leave it behind. I need to do everything I can to decontaminate, uh, potentially even leading to showering soap, everything before I come home to do everything. But if I even suspect it, I think I, I, I tend not to be uh, overly, what I would say probably safety conscientious. I, I kind of rush into things and I, I do my thing, but I think now I am much more aware to slow down and again, do those things that need, because that's all of our worry, right? And uh, I've had these conversations with my family. I've had these conversations with my children that I've never had before to say, this may happen. And here's what's happening to even be, um, instead of reactive, hopefully be proactive, that if it happens, they're aware of it. So. I do think there are the potential for that change to really happen, but I think the conversations have been much more open about even the work I do, that I've been able to talk to my kids now and open that door a little more freely because they've been impacted with schools closed. So they know we're kind of in this together. Well, now it's uh, allowed me to have these conversations. With them. So 
uh, I think there is some a great deal of change in the potential for it. About you, Molly? Um, I think I also am not somebody who's like um, over has been overly worried about oh what's on my clothes what's on this what's on that. Um, I have colleagues that are I mean in about a couple of weeks ago I had a colleague tell me I I'm doing this and doing this and I'm stripping in the garage. Um, putting everything in the laundry before I walk in the house. And I was like, oh, am I supposed to be doing that? <laughs> and um, and last week and this week, definitely, you know, I'm not, gosh, I'm surely not spraying myself down with Lysol or anything, but last week and this week, I have um, intentionally, my clothes have come off and gone straight into the laundry. And in the past, and I've worn things that can do, that are easier laundered. I tend to dress nice for work. I'm expected. We are I have places I'm not allowed to wear scrubs and I would never, that would be weird as a chaplain to me. I know some places they do wear scrubs or more casual clothes. Um, I was kind of brought up, I, yeah, the expectation is that I wear nice clothes. I yeah. wear business clothes, business, you know. Um, and so I have kind of shifted. I feel like I'm still trying to look nice. And, um, but I have definitely every, you know, everything goes into the wash when I come home. And, you know, we instituted several weeks ago, you know, as soon as you walk in the door, you go wash your hands and, you know, have, um, I think my four-year-old's going to be a pro hand washer um, <laughs> by the time we're done with this. And, um, and that's, and we're not a super germ phobic household, but we've just, as far as, you know, in explaining, this is to keep ourselves healthy. This is to keep other people healthy. And mm. so I think that's the big way. And to be honest, like, I probably should have a jump bag in the car. Like, cause there, are, the reality is I could get called out to see somebody who is, has COVID-19 and, um, and like, especially for somebody who's dying that the family would like me to be there. And I have the right supplies to do that. Um, I have everything I need to do that, um, to protect me. Um, but I probably should be a little bit more, I should have a jump bag in my car because I may need to strip down somewhere and, um, but uh, gosh, I think because we haven't faced it in any of my facilities yet, I think there's a part of me that's still a little bit in denial. Yeah. And, hope, and even though I am, I'm, I'm mentally prepared that I'm going to get exposed at some point, or at least I was till they pulled me out, until um, we've been really limiting our visits, um, at least our in-person visits. Um, yeah. So it's changed. I mean, we've had some conversations, but there's only so much you can say to a four-year-old. <laughs> that's very true. Very true. Yeah. You know, one of the other undercurrents that, that I hear, and um, we've, we've had a couple of um, opportunities to chat with other chaplains as well and pastors is, um, you know, here in Seattle, this is our third week into kind of an alternative type of a reality that we're living into. And in the beginning, it was a lot of adapting to the new way of doing things and, um, maybe even a little excitement around the differentness of, of doing things. Um, and we're entering into a, another season uh, within this pandemic. And, and I think um, I would, I would label it as a, a time of grief. And um, that's something that I would think that um, the three of you deal with on a pretty regular basis. Um, what are some things that, that help you, um, help others walk in their time of grief, either because they've been diagnosed or someone who is gravely ill, um, or simply just having to change um, their lifestyle, being separated from loved ones. 
um, if they're first responders who all of a sudden have to be quarantined or something like that. Um, how do you um, walk alongside someone in the midst of their grief? I think for, for me and for the people that I work with, especially supporting caregivers who are also going through this, nurses, doctors, attendings, being present with people and not looking away has been huge. So being willing to hear people out, to hear their fear without minimizing, without um, interrupting or making excuses and just listening. And I feel that in our populations, um, I'm thinking of Charlie and Molly too, we see things every day that we're, that a lot of people don't see. And um, I think that for our doctors and our nurses, there are fears that they don't wanna talk about or bring home to their families. So being willing to be that listening presence to them. When people ask me, um, what's your church? I just hold my arms out in the hospital and I say, it's right here. Um, and being able to be present with my colleagues on my palliative care team, being able to be present with our doctors, our nurses, when they say, I'm scared that I'm gonna bring this home. What about my elderly mom? What about whatever? Being present with that. Uh, and I do silly things. I try to inject a little humor into this process of grief. Today, I brought around uh, little memes of Mr. Rogers saying really great things to everyone that were small enough to fit in somebody's pocket. And I, I just <laughs> made a little sign that said, take Fred with you today. And um, just letting people know we see you. We see the work that you're doing in these difficult and impossible spaces that your families can't even imagine and that you're so deathly afraid sometimes of. And we see you when we're not going to look away. And being that presence, that reminder of presence with you, uh, being the light of the one who is with you, and uh, being willing to walk that with people speaks more than any words I could ever share or any meditation technique that I could introduce. Um, and I, I tell my uh, I have supervisors who ask sometimes, what are the self-care resources that you would recommend? What toolkit can we put online? What resource can we put out there? What website links do you want to share with people? And, yeah. and I, I've written back more than once something that's really unpopular. I said, the biggest tool I have is being present with people. So I can give you some hints of what to say or how to facilitate a discussion, or I can share a poem with you. But really the thing that's going to matter is, are you there physically walking alongside people? Are you willing to hear them out in their distress? And I would say to our, our pastors and colleagues, are you able and, and to pick up the phone to that person you haven't heard from, to shoot them an email, to send, like that means so much. I don't know if people, I can overstate how much it means to someone who's shut in, to our elderly folks or those people in, the, in nursing homes. My kid's school, is inviting them all to write letters because they're paired with uh, the hearthstone. And so today they got a letter back from one of their grand pals. Oh, you know, oh. I'm sorry, you're, you have to live through all of this. And just, just that thought that we're not in this alone and we're not created to be alone. We're created to be in community. So let's figure out the ways that we can do that and do that with each other. Yeah, I, I would agree with what Leah is saying. I think there's been a couple of things that have come up for me. One is this challenge, right, of social distancing and staying away, and yet we want to be present. And so for me, again, I'm called to a scene. I'm going to be present with somebody. What does that look like? What are the precautions? And how am I not afraid to be in that moment, right? 
Uh, I've learned to validate the emotions. Like you said, it's okay to be angry right now, right? It's also okay to laugh. It's sad. It's, you know, we, we can embrace all of that. So I think Leah is exactly right. How we listen and embrace the emotions and the things that, and the grief that people are going through, I think really matters. I'll share one just thing that we got feedback from our police officers particularly about was we were constantly sending out daily, almost twice, three times a day, updates initially by email. They found that was really cold and impersonal. They wanted a video call. So now the police chief, Chief Best, is doing video calls and doing a video every day. They want to see a face. Yeah. They want to see people, right? There's just some reassuring on that. Even as we're doing this, even though we're going to be recorded, we are all on a video together because we want to see each other. Right. right. There's just some creative ways that we need to continue to not take that for granted, right? But to say, this is how we're going to reach out. Uh, some chaplains have even done video conferencing in the emergency world on scene with families. So if we can't respond or don't feel it's safe, hopefully an officer has a phone or a firefighter and we'll just talk to them this way. We've put all those things in place now. Um, but I do think we just have to embrace it. I teach a class called the Healing Presence to our chaplains and it's a ministry of presence. And quiet can be and silence can be healing. So how do we how do we just embrace the moment? There's a great mystery going on around us right now of the unknown and we don't have answers, right? So maybe we just need to sit and, and be with one another. So I think that's a big challenge though because we're told to stay away right now. Yeah. And that's not who I am. I'm a high extrovert and I'm a very social person and I wanna be with people, right? So. What I, what I hear um, you guys, all three of you pointing to is a, a level of resilience and um, and also of creativity within your work, which I think is admirable and something that I think the wider church can certainly learn from, um, because we're all being tossed into this unknown area of how do we do our ministry, whether it's parish ministry or we are a chaplain in a hospital or um, in a nursing home. I mean, whatever, even as a presbytery staff person, all of a sudden, um, everything's upside down. The rules have changed. And well, I think your modeling is this resiliency that, that I think we all need to adopt. Some of that creativity is for us now. We've had community partners come together and we've put 100 care packages. So if we know that an officer's quarantined, we're offering a care package that we're going to drop off on their doorstep. You know, and we call them, right? I mean, that's creative. That's saying, again, you matter and we're here with you. You're not alone. So I think even the church there's a, a lot of work just in that right there to say, how do we reach out to our people still and find those creative ways to show them that we care and we're thinking of you. Molly, I'm, I'm wondering what has been for you um, the greatest challenge in the midst of, of doing your work in, during a pandemic? Um, I think one of the challenges is that um, people are still dying of other things. Mm. <laughs> if that sounds... Um, I work in hospice, so I am, you know, generally, I mean, I, there are people who occasionally are on hospice for more than two years, but that's not usually the case, you know, so sometimes we have really long-term relationships with people, but people are referred to hospice when they're thought to have six months or less, and so, um, I mean, we had two deaths over the weekend, and neither of them was due to COVID-19, you know, um, they were people, you know, dying of natural causes. And a part of our job still with hospice is to 
walk with those families and those patients. And so um, sometimes it feels distracting. I mean, we're getting constant emails because they're trying to keep us, things change so much that we're getting um, inundated with information. And, um, and there is, I mean, and there's a lot of additional stress because every time you walk into a place, there is um, fear of exposure. Like, who, who are you gonna get the call from next week that, oh, my daughter who was here in the, in the house with you for an hour um, has now tested positive, you know, or things like, I mean, we, that's going on all the time. And so we're going into those places and we're using our general normal precautions, but then sometimes people, staff are potentially getting exposed. And so we're trying to do our best work for end of life to what we always do, but now there's this huge other thing going on. And um, how do we keep doing our best work um, at end of life with patients and families? Um, and, you know, we are definitely getting re starting to get referred um, people who are coming to us positive for COVID-19. And that's going to be a whole new learning curve for us because that's just starting. We're just starting to get those referrals. But um, yeah, I mean, how do we, I think the biggest challenge is how do we keep doing the work we've always done, you know, with this whole new stressor and um, framework in place? Molly, as you were speaking, and Leah, you could probably test this. I went to my first call where I probably heard I don't have the virus 50 times. I mean, so I think <laughs> oh, even in that, right, our people are worried that this is it, but the everyday world still happens. The things that we would normally go to are still out there. And I think that's what's also interesting is they have that fear on their side too to let us all know I don't have it I don't have it I don't have it yeah every time somebody coughs I feel like I hear don't worry it's not that yeah. or a sneeze even right. amongst my teammates we're all looking at each other and they're like did you just wipe your face did you touch <laughs> your face did you touch your face Ed so along those lines just to make Leah laugh because I know she likes to uh I, oh, I'll, I'll admit this, I was a fingernail biter until about two weeks ago, so <laughs> I had to file my nails for the first time, people. <laughs> not a bad thing to, not a bad habit to drop, Charlie. Yeah. No. <laughs> I wanted to speak to Leah's use of humor, um, because I think a big part of being chaplains is we allow people to name things like grief and sadness and anger and not dismiss them, which I think is one of the key things I think so often um, in trying to be helpful, people shut people down, they give them platitudes, they try and look through rose-colored glasses, and that isn't helpful to people. And so I think as chaplains, we hold both that, but we do bring humor, mm -hmm. um, especially with our, I mean, gosh, sometimes, you know, with the people that we're caring for, our patients or our um, I don't know what to call them for you, Charlie. I'm sorry. I'm so used to having patients on the mind, but, um, but people in the community, um, but that with our colleagues, we often use humor to help cope with these things that other people might not find so funny. Yeah. And so you learn the people you can share. I mean, there's a whole email chain amongst a group of my colleagues who are in contact on our personal phones where there are just memes flying around that, you know, like, what my hair will look like after six months of doing my own haircuts and, you know, all these things that we're doing to keep each other, to keep our spirits up. Because the reality is we, re we have to laugh. I mean, we were laughing so hard. Um, my team has the teams I'm on. We have a little office. Um, 
in not at the main headquarters for hospice, but at one of the facilities they have provide an office to us. And we were in our office and it's been so quiet down there. We're in the basement and we didn't know anybody else was around. And we one my nurse got us going and we were dying that somebody in the next office over came and knocked on our door to check to see what was going on because we were laughing so hard. We were making them laugh through the through the wall. And she said, We needed that so bad today. Yeah. And how just, do we bring um, joy? Yeah. Well, and that that leads me to another question. Um, like how how do you fill your cup? I mean, laughter is one way to care for yourself. What are some other ways that you guys take care of yourself to make sure that um, your cup is full in order to, to be able to continue caring for others? I, for me, I mean, I still, up to a couple of days ago, was out golfing every few days, things I enjoy doing to remind me of play. I have a pretty strong theology of play. I coach baseball. I um, I'm out with my kids. Uh, now that we're shel- sheltered in, I'm still trying to get out and do a little bit of walking and running each day. Uh, plenty of water, plenty of kind of in-home exercise. So I think that's some of it, but it's also called me into reading again. So I've picked up some books I haven't read in a while, right? I mean, I'm home now and the kids are kind of homeschooling. So what it, it's kind of been an invitation for me to enter into some things that I've kind of not done in a while. So um, I think that's some of it. I, I tend to laugh. So I'm like Molly said, I mean, there's plenty of laughter out there if you look for it and uh, just some good self-care that way. Uh, and this isn't, I just left a FaceTime with a bunch of friends. So, right. So we're still finding ways to connect and still uh, care for each other during these times. I'm petting my dog right now. That's a, a good source of, of self-care. He came up and tried to attack me, but spending time with family um, because I'm stuck with my family, so my two kids and and my spouse, and then um, also having having the opportunity to connect with people via phone and trying to be intentional about maintaining those connections and knowing that they're important to my self care. I call my chaplain buddies on the way home from work if it's been a hard day, um, and just ask how is it where you are because we're spread out and that is very healing for me. And then. Um, checking in with family and making sure that I get some time outside a building. So we take kids on walks a few times a day to make sure everybody's getting fresh air, everybody's getting exercise. And we have to, we have to do that. I am a binge reader. So uh, Charlie, I hear you there. I'm actively seeking new suggestions. If anyone has anything they really love. So let me know. The longer, the better. It's like twelve-part series or something. <laughs> Last time I had a really hard work week, I got into The Expanse, that sci-fi series that has all the books are like seven hundred pages long. It was glorious. Oh, wow, you are a much better person than I. So totally side note: Did you watch it on Amazon Prime? No. Did you Did you watch it? I've oh. been watching Schitt's Creek though. That show is amazing. Okay. Yeah. No, but you need to watch it. If you've read The Expanse, you need to yeah. watch it. Sorry. Okay. What are you doing, Molly? How are you keeping it together? I mean, so you I have a comedian in your home, so I feel like that's cheating. Oh <laughs> yeah. um, you know, for me, I, um, uh, and this has always been helpful to me, is I, I, I work, working with my hands helps me. So like gardening. So, I mean, I'm working on the yard a bit here and there as long as, you know, um, it's tolerated by my child. 
Um, but gardening and knitting um, and laughter, I mean, so there is a great, we'll see if this makes it into the cut, but there's a great <laughs> website called Damn You Autocorrect. Oh, that one is good. And it's I, very good. <laughs> somebody posted a link and I shared it on my Facebook page because I was in hysterics. Somebody had posted one and I was laughing. I mean, it's crying. I mean, my family thought I was crazy. And this was in probably the first week of all this going on. This was probably several weeks ago. Um, but I really, I didn't know how badly I needed to laugh. Um, and boy, it really helped. And um, I also find like music can, re music really helps me like singing along the stuff. I've been singing along the crazy songs in the car. I mean, we had, um, you know, there, I, I am the person that you look in your rearview mirror and you see the crazy person singing in the car and that's me. But that is a big um, stress reliever. You know, on one of those crazy snow days we had, like, I don't know, just weird stuff happens. And, um, you know, even if it's not a long drive um, somewhere and you're just dealing with all the knuckleheads on the road, you know, I'm singing Let It Go at the top of my head, at the top of my lungs in the car because that helps break through the crazy that wants to come up in me. And so that's, um, yeah, those are things that help me and, and definitely, you know, connecting with other folks. Um, I, you know, I'm not as connected um, to as many chaplains, I think, as I would like to be. Um, and I think that when I have met with people or talked with people, that has been a huge help to me because the reality is that most folks don't get what we do or they don't know how to support us in what we do sometimes because um, not many people, I mean, I don't know if I could count the number of people I've been with as they've died or, you know, or shortly after death. And, um, and I, I meet people all the time who are like, you know, I've never done this before. And I'm thinking, gosh, I've been doing this since I was 18. You know, I mean, like that was my first one. And I'm just like, this has always been a part of my life. And so they're um, often chaplains um, get that a bit better. And so for me, it's a challenge to reach out a little bit more to people who I feel like do get me. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I think um, something that I really appreciate about our conversation this evening is that you've actually, the three of you have lifted up some different things that I think would be helpful for all of our minister members as um, they're uh, standing with and walking alongside um, folks, whether they're congregants or neighbors or community members, um, you're the gift of presence, uh, the gift of laughter, um, the ability to grieve and, and be in the grief in that moment. Um, these are all wonderful opportunities that you're presenting to all of us as, as reminders of our call to ministry. I'm wondering, um, as we finish up this evening, I, I'm curious if you're able to identify places where in your ministry in the last couple of weeks, you've actually felt the presence of God in, in, your, in the midst of your work. I did get, I, I get called to a, a DOA where, uh, you know, a family had been married 40 years, her husband died in his sleep. And uh, this was just a few days ago. But I can remember being present with her and uh, it, this lady and kind of walking through as I typically would for an hour, hour and a half and waiting for, you know, the funeral home to come. But at the end, as I got ready to live, she said, thank you for touching me. 
And I did not realize I even reached out and touched her wrist like I normally would. I, I'm a toucher. But I felt like that was a place where, again, there was safety. God was watching over that moment. I didn't feel a threat. I didn't feel like there were any of these precautions I needed. It's kind of naturally who I am, even though I know we're supposed to keep six feet between us. I would say that I remember leaving there thinking God was with me today, like in this moment. And what that lady needed, and I mean, they, they'd been living pretty much a sheltered life already just due to age and health issues. Um, it was just a good reminder to me of, again, uh, God's presence, God's grace for, for us, for me, my protection of the work I'm doing. And I didn't even think about it, right? It just came natural, but she thanked me just for that touch that probably happened within five minutes of meeting her kind of a thing. So... I would say I, I definitely walked away thinking a little more about God's uh, uh, provisions for me and, and for his protection over me as I, as I do this work. How about you, ladies? Uh, Molly? Yeah, for me, um, you know, I guess the place where I feel like I've most seen it is just, um, I really have had just a sense of peace in the work that I'm doing. I have not, I have not been fearful. Um, I haven't been, or at least I haven't been fearful for myself. And I think that is, I mean, contrary to a lot of fear around me, um, in my family, in colleagues, um, in my community, I feel like I have been able, you know, as I was doing, going about my normal work until Monday, you know, going to see people, going into all my facilities, um, God just gave me peace to go into those places. And that's that, you know, peace that passes all understanding as, you know, people are so worried about facilities being kind of the hotbed for this because of what happened in Kirkland, that um, there is a lot of fear. And I'm seeing it manifested in different ways with my colleagues. Um, I have seen a colleague who's like looking for every excuse possible to not go see people, mm-hmm. which is hard. And, um, but also for me, I've been able you know, I've done my best to try and bring that peace to other people as well and seen that as part of my work. Um, but I'm really thankful because like that's, that's God, you know, in everything that's going on, there's so much unknown. And, um, but I feel a great sense of God's peace in my work. I think there've been uh, quite a few moments for, for me in these last few weeks, especially being with people Um, at the end of their life, but I had a beautiful moment yesterday where uh, I was with a woman who couldn't have visitors, but um, her faith meant so much to her. And the last time she was in the hospital, I remember her pastor would visit, her kids would visit, everybody was visiting. And this time it was just her by herself. And she was dealing with um, the news that her disease was getting worse and it was, it was scary. And so I came into the room and I said, oh, you'd usually be surrounded by people. Um, how are you holding up? And, and talked to her for a little while. And she had told my colleague um, who had been in the room previously that she wanted a prayer. So I came in and I sat down next to her and we talked for a little while. And then I offered to say a prayer and I said, something tells me that you might want to pray too. And uh, she's a woman in her 80s and she's like, oh, honey. And so we sat there and I said, do you want me to start off? And so I prayed and then she prayed and I said, what are you praying for? I love asking people that. And she said, I'm praying for the world right now. 
Um, so in the midst of everything that was going on with her and hearing this heartbreaking news, she said, I'm praying for the world because I know God's mercy is here. God loves the world. And at that moment, I felt like, oh, honey, you are the face of God. And as her heart was breaking for the world around her, and she offered this prayer in the hospital room for the world around her, it was just beautiful to feel that presence of God with us. Mm. And the doctor who was with me also said, oh, <laughs> I'm not a religious person, but I, I felt that prayer. That was a blessing for us. That was a beautiful moment. Thank you so much, um, all three of you. Thank you for your gift of presence, um, for the way you're teaching us on how to be in these difficult places and very uncertain and anxious times. Um, and thank you for talking to me tonight. Um, it's an honor and such a, a blessing to me personally. So thank you. Thank you. I can't believe I'm lucky enough to get to do this work and I get to talk to you guys tonight. So thank you. Woo, winners. <laughs> Have a good evening. Please stay safe. And I hope to talk to you soon. <laughs>